Welcome to Ancient Words, Modern Message. I'm your host, Roger Womble. The past is a mirror, and the more we examine what came before us, the more we can understand where we are heading. Conditions in the northern kingdom of Israel in the 8th century BC sound strangely like conditions in America today, as identified by the prophet Hosea. The truth hurts, but it is absolutely necessary for improvement, as we will see in this fifth episode of I Love You Truly, studies in the book of Hosea. I think it's a very important thing to take just a moment to consider Deuteronomy chapter 8. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, we find Moses at the end of his life, about to end his life, and the, the Jews are getting ready to cross over the Jordan under the leadership of Joshua and Caleb uh, and to move into uh, the promised land the land of Canaan, uh, to cross from the uh, eastern side of the Jordan River across the Jordan and to begin the conquest of the promised land, the land that God had promised for them. And in Deuteronomy chapter 8, we find Moses addressing the Jewish people and basically telling them ahead of time uh, what they should be aware of, what they were going to find when they got to the promised land. He was not going to go with them because God would not permit him to enter the promised land because of his own act of disobedience at one point. Uh, but the Jews are getting ready to, to cross over and we find in Deuteronomy chapter eight, Moses is actually addressing the Jewish people. And this is what he says, beginning in verse seven. For the Lord thy God bringeth thee into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and depths that spring out of valleys and hills. A land of, and then you've heard the term seven species. Well, here's the list of the seven species. A land of wheat and barley and vines. That is grapes. And fig trees and pomegranates. A land of olive oil and honey. Most likely that would be date honey of date trees. A land wherein thou shalt eat bread without scarceness. Thou shalt not lack anything in it. A land whose stones are iron, and out of whose hills thou mayest dig bronze. When thou hast eaten and art full, then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he hath given thee. Then there's this. Beware, beware, beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes, which I command thee this day, lest when thou hast eaten and art full and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein, and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply and thy silver and thy gold are multiplied and all that thou hast is multiplied, then thine heart be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God, who brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led thee through that great and terrible wilderness for the last 40 years, 
wherein were fiery serpents and scorpions and drought, where there was no water, who brought thee forth water out of the rock of flint, who, let, who fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not that he might humble thee and that he might test thee to do thee good at thy latter end. And thou say in thine heart, my power and the might of mine hand hath gotten me this wealth. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he who giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore unto thy fathers as it is this day. And it shall be, here's a warning, it shall be, if thou do at all forget the Lord thy God and walk after other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that ye shall surely perish. As the nations which the Lord destroyeth before your face, so shall ye perish, because ye would not be obedient unto the voice of the Lord your God. Those words were spoken 700 years before Hosea came onto the scene to the nation of Israel. And that is the backdrop against which we are now going to look 700 years later, 8th century BC, at Hosea's words to the descendants of those Jews who heard those words 700 years before. So if you would take your text, please, Hosea chapter 13, and we're going to begin, first of all, by just uh, considering the whole, uh, the whole passage, 16 verses. And so I'll read that, Hosea 13, 1 through 16. When Ephraim spoke, there was trembling. He was exalted in Israel, but he incurred guilt through Baal and died. And now they sin more and more and make for themselves mental images, idols skillfully made of their silver, all of them the work of craftsmen. It is said of them, those who offer human sacrifice kiss calves. Therefore, they shall be like the morning mist or like the dew that goes early away, like the chaff that swirls from the threshing floor or like smoke from a window. But I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. You know no God but me, and besides me, there is no savior. It was I who knew you in the wilderness, in the land of drought. But when they had grazed, they became full, they were filled, and their heart was lifted up. Therefore, they forgot me. So I am to them like a lion, like a leopard I will lurk beside the way. I will fall upon them like a bear robbed of her cubs. I will tear open their breast, and there I will devour them like a lion, as a wild beast would rip them open. He destroys you, O Israel, for you are against me, against your helper. Where now is your king to save you in all your cities? Where are all your rulers, those of whom you said, give me a king and princes? I gave you a king in my anger, and I took him away in my wrath. The iniquity of Ephraim is bound up. His sin is kept in store. The pangs of childbirth come for him, but he is an unwise son. For at the right time, he does not present himself at the opening of the womb. Shall I ransom them from the power of Sheol? Shall I redeem them from death? O oh, death, where are your plagues? O oh, Sheol, where is your sting? Compassion is hidden from my eyes. Though he may flourish among his brothers, the east wind, the wind of the Lord shall come, rising from the wilderness, and his fountain shall dry up. 
His spring shall be parched. It shall strip his treasury of every precious thing. Samaria shall bear her guilt because she has rebelled against her God. They shall fall by the sword. Their little ones shall be dashed in pieces and their pregnant women ripped open. Not exactly the most pleasant uh, words to read, to be sure. What you see in these verses, which I just read for you in chapter 13. In chapter 13, you see Hosea the prophet continues his diatribe against the northern kingdom of Israel. Now remember, you see the word, the term Ephraim. That is one of the 12 tribes and one of the 10 northern tribes that formed the northern kingdom of Israel. And Ephraim was the largest of those 10 tribes. And so Ephraim actually is a term that is used to refer to the whole northern kingdom of Israel. And in chapter 13, Hosea continues to proclaim and to decry the spiritual infidelity of the Jews of the northern kingdom. Their idolatry, that is chasing after other gods, uh, and the fact that uh, they, they were not responding to the only one who really could get them out of the mess that they had gotten themselves into, and the only one who could really bring them salvation, and that, of course, is God. And one who promises sure and certain judgment if they do not respond. So now we have Hosea chapter 13, in which Hosea returns to things that he's already said previously. I would suggest to you that, uh, that a heading for this chapter might well be, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. You know that statement. The bigger they are, the harder they fall. Because remember, Ephraim was the largest tribe of the northern kingdom of Israel, in fact, it was the largest, most prestigious tribe of the 12 tribes of Israel. Notice verse 1. When, and this is now in the past, when Ephraim spoke, there was trembling. So the tribe of Ephraim, when their leaders said anything, everybody sat up and paid attention. Whoa, Ephraim is speaking. When Ephraim spoke, there was trembling. He was exalted in Israel. But then what happened? He incurred guilt through his worship of the false god Baal, and he died. Now, understand, that hadn't happened yet when Hosea was speaking these words. But it was so sure and certain that that judgment would come that Hosea says it is as if it has already happened. And then you have verse 3, speaking of that judgment. Even though they were the most prestigious, the time is coming when they will be like the morning mist, like the dew that goes early away, like the chaff that swirls from the threshing floor, like smoke from a window. There in verse 3, what is the common denominator of all of those metaphors? It's like, poof, it's gone. They will be like the morning mist. You know, you get up in the morning, you go out, and it's kind of misty. And within an hour or two, when the sun comes out, it's gone. What about the dew that's on the grass? You go out in the morning, it's wet, the sun comes out, and very shortly, it's gone. What about the chaff? 
you know, when you're on the threshing floor, you've all done this, right? You're on the threshing floor and, and the chaff rises up and the wind blows it away. Poof, it is gone. Or like smoke from a window. So you've got smoke over a fire, it goes out a window. So the idea is no matter how prestigious Ephraim was, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. And then verse 15, you have the same statement there in verse 15. Uh, where it, it, it says this, though he may flourish among his brothers. Now, there's an interesting play on words there because the name of the tribe of Israel, Ephraim, that name literally means double fruit, double fruit. Uh, the Hebrew word for fruit is there in the name Ephraim, and the plural of that is double. So twice as much fruit. So it's the idea that Ephraim was tw twice as fruitful, twice as powerful, twice as blessed, if you will, over all of his brothers. But it didn't matter. Though he may flourish among his brothers, the east wind. Now, anybody who has traveled in Israel knows about the east wind. You think about the little country of Israel, and on the west of Israel is the Mediterranean Sea. And when the wind blows from the west toward the east, it is a cooling wind. But to the east of Israel and also to the southeast of Israel is the desert. And when the wind, the wind blows from the east toward the west, it is a dry, hot wind. In Israel, they call those winds, those days when the wind is blowing from the east toward the west, they call that the hamsin. It's an Arabic word for 50, because the idea is that out of every year, there are about 50 days in Israel when the wind blows from the east toward the west and it dries everything out. Phyllis and I have been there often when there is a hamsin, and you can just feel it. It's as if your lips begin to crack. And sometimes there's even sand that comes along with everything else. So here you have, though he may flourish, this tribe known as double fruit, though he may flourish among his brothers, the east wind, the wind of the Lord shall come, rising from the wilderness, that's the desert, and his fountain, Ephraim's fountain that waters everything and makes him doubly fruitful, his fountain shall dry up, his spring shall be parched, it shall strip his treasury of every precious thing. So there it is, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. And then, if you're looking for a word to kind of summarize the whole chapter, that one word, I think, is stupid. Yeah, stupid. And in the words of Forrest Gump's mama, remember Forrest Gump said this, mama always said, stupid is as stupid does. Stupid is as stupid does. Well, what we see here is the stupidity of the Jews of the Northern Kingdom in what they did or didn't do and that made them stupid. So first of all, they were stupid in ignoring history. Stupid is ignoring history. And specifically the history that they ignored was God's goodness. 
and his faithfulness. Notice verses four through six. God says, I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. You know no God but me. In other words, you know, there's nobody else you can rely on. You know no God but me. And besides me, there is no savior. Remember folks, it was I who knew you in the wilderness. Back when your ancestors 700 years before came out of Egypt, I was the one who knew you in the wilderness in the land of drought. But when your ancestors had grazed in the promised land, they became full, they were filled, their heart was lifted up, therefore they forgot me. That's stupid. Do you notice that that's exactly what Deuteronomy chapter 8 predicted? That chapter that I read at the very beginning. Moses said to the Jews, when you get into the promised land, it's a great place. When you get to the promised land, uh, you better be careful because you're going to start prospering. And you're going to say, wow, pretty good. I mean, look at what I have out here. Look at, look at all of the, the, the crops and the cattle and everything else. And you're going to forget the Lord your God. And you're going to chase after other gods. And that's exactly what they did. Okay, stupid is ignoring history. Second, stupid is kissing cows. Does anyone disagree with that? <laughs> stupid is kissing cows. And yet, verse 2. And now they sin more and more, make for themselves metal images, idols skillfully made of their silver, all of them the work of craftsmen. So they take their gold and their silver and they hire the, the most artistic individuals, craftsmen, and they make idols. They make little cows, little calves, and they worship those little idols that they have made themselves in fact, there are some times when they even kiss that little golden calf. And it's so stupid that there are people around them who see them doing that. And this is what they say, verse 2. It is said of them, those who offer human sacrifice kiss calves. Offer human sacrifice? That's right, because the Jews had actually gotten of the northern kingdom so degraded that in their worship of some of the gods of the nations around them, such as Molech, for example, they actually sacrificed their own children. Molech, the image of Molech, was heated to red-hot temperature. And the practice in the worship of Molech was to place an infant in the arms of that statue and the infant would be burned to death. They sacrifice their own people. They offer human sacrifice, and they kiss calves. How stupid is that? Stupid is as stupid does. Then, third, stupid is outsmarting God. Nobody outsmarts God. So if you try, you're stupid. Stupid is outsmarting God. Notice verses 9 through 11. He destroys you, O Israel, for you are against me, against your helper. You're trying to outsmart me. And then God asks this question of the Jews of the northern kingdom. Where now is your king to save you in all your cities? Because you see, 
God through Hosea said, the time is coming in the future. And it did come a few years after Hosea. In fact, while he was still prophesying, it came in the form of the army of the Assyrians. And they swept down from the north and they defeated the northern kingdom of Israel and carried them off into captivity. And so the question is, where now is your king to save you in all your cities? Where are all your rulers? Those of whom you said, give me a king and princes. And then God says this, I gave you a king. Remember, I gave you a king in my anger and I took him away in my wrath. This is most likely a reference to something that took place long before this. And it is recorded in 1 Samuel chapter 8. 1 Samuel chapter 8, and you might remember from your history of, of the Jewish people of Israel, that Samuel was a prophet of God, and Samuel was the spiritual advisor of the Jewish people. But now Samuel was getting old, and he was having problems with his family, with his sons. And we read in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 4, Then all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel unto Ramah, and said unto him, Behold, thou art old. Don't you like when people say that? Behold, you're old. Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. They didn't have a king at that point. You know who their king was? God. It was a theocracy, not a monarchy, but a theocracy. God was their king. But now they're saying, we want a king like all the other nations. And then verse 6, but the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Samuel, hearken unto the voice of the people in all that they say unto thee, for they have not, listen, they have not rejected thee, Samuel, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. According to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even unto this day, wherewith they have forsaken me and served other gods, so do they also unto thee. Now, therefore, hearken unto their voice, howbeit yet protest solemnly unto them and show them the manner of the king who shall reign over them. And the verses that follow, Samuel is warning the Jews and says, you want a king? Listen. You're, if you get a king, this is what's going to happen. He's going to, he's going to want money from you. He's going to oppress you. You better be careful. And then after all of that, verse 19, nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, nay, but we will have a king over us that we may also be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And this is why God says there, uh, in verse 10 and verse 11. Uh, where is your king now? You asked for a king. I gave you a king and you got what you're asking for. Stupid is outsmarting God. And then fourth, stupid is forcing the forceps. Yeah, I know I have to explain that. Stupid is forcing the forceps. And this is in verse 13. The pangs of childbirth come for him. Who is the for him? Well, here it's actually the Jews of the northern kingdom. And it's a reference to the fact that Hosea, the prophet of God, has appeared before the Jews of the northern kingdom. And he, he is saying, the prophet of God says to the Jews of the northern kingdom, look, 
Now is the time for you to repent before it is too late. If you don't repent now, bad, bad things are going to take place here. So now is the time. Get in the right position. Repent. Respond to God. But what is their reaction? Well, here it is. The pangs of childbirth come for him, but he, the Jews of the northern kingdom, is an unwise son. For at the right time, he does not present himself at the opening of the womb. Here's the metaphor. A woman is nine months pregnant. And now it's time. And the baby is supposed to be getting into position in the birth canal at the opening of the womb. Labor has begun. There is dilation. Everything is going along properly. The baby has dropped into the birth canal. And then the baby says, whoa, 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 wait a second. Hold it. Hold it. I'm not ready. I need more time. It's warm here. It's comfortable. It's cold out there. I'm going to stay here for a while. And what does God say through Hosea? You are stupid. And so those of you who have kind of been through this routine, we have, you know that sometimes the baby is stubborn and stupid. And the baby just doesn't seem to want to get in the right position. So there's something that is called Dr. Durstein, you've maybe done this, a high forceps delivery, where the forceps go into the womb and the head is grabbed a hold of and yanked out of the womb. And by the way, usually there are scars and bruises and a misshapen head as a result of that. So this is the image here of the northern kingdom of Israel. They're like a stupid son, an unwise son, who does not respond at the right time, but resists doing what he should be doing. And so stupid is forcing the forces. And yet, as we kind of wrap this up, in the midst of all of this horrific forecast, and it is awful, verses 7 through 9, it's pretty grotesque. God says, because they forgot me and they will not respond to me, so I am to them like a lion, like a leopard. I will lurk beside the way. I'll fall upon them like a bear robbed of her cubs, an angry bear. When you get between the mama and the baby, I will tear open their breast and there I will devour them like a lion as a wild beast would rip them open. And then verse 16 is even more disturbing. Samaria shall bear her guilt because she has rebelled against her God. They shall fall by the sword. Their little ones shall be dashed in pieces and their pregnant women ripped open. By the way, you see that twist of irony? Because the Jews refused to be a wise child and go ahead and be born in the right way. What's going to happen is these unborn babies are going to be ripped from the womb of their pregnant mothers. Sadly, it was the custom in warfare at that period of time that when an invading army attacked a city, very often they would take the pregnant women and they would cut them open and rip the babies out of them. How tragic that is. And, and yet, in spite of that horrific picture, we understand God still loves Israel, the Jewish people, and they will rise 
from the dust of death. And that's verse 14. Now, as we wrap this up, I want to suggest to you that this is one verse that I want to just change a little bit, not the original, but I think there's a better translation. You notice verse 14. Shall I ransom them from the power of Sheol? Shall I redeem them from death? O death, where are your plagues? O Sheol, where is your sting? Compassion is hidden from my eyes. It makes it sound as if God is asking a question here. Shall I save them from Sheol? That's the grave. Sheol was the grave. Shall I save them from the grave? Shall I redeem them from death? And then he says, he addresses death and says, O death, where are your plagues? O Sheol, O grave, where is your sting? The text would allow for a translation to be not in the interrogative here. That is not a question as it is in your verse there in verse 14, but actually in the affirmative so that we can read that God is saying, I will ransom them, not shall I, but I will. I will ransom them from the power of Sheol. I will redeem them from death. And then it makes more sense when God says to, oh, death, where is your power? Where are your thorns? Oh, grave, where is your sting? So I would suggest that here God is saying, in spite of the future that was ahead of the northern kingdom of Israel, he is saying, but a time is coming in the future after all of that when I will pour out my love and grace and mercy on the Jewish people. I, I will ransom them for the power of Sheol. I will redeem them from death. What comes to mind, I think, is a passage in the book of Romans, chapter 6, verse 23. It brings these two ideas together. Romans 6, 23 says this. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God, who is gracious and merciful, the gift of, of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that is what God is stating here in Hosea chapter 13. And that is God's offer to everyone in the world today. And it's stupid to not respond. Thanks for listening to Ancient Words, Modern Message. You can expect a new episode every other Monday, so please join us again. Ancient Words, Modern Message is supported by Hebrew Christian Fellowship. To learn more about our ministry or to ask a question, contact us at hcfellowship4819 at gmail.com. If you know someone who might be interested in this teaching, please share it with them. And please consider leaving a review of what you've heard on Apple Podcast. Your input helps us make our program even better and reach new listeners. All you have to do is open up the podcast app on your phone, look for Ancient Words, Modern Message, scroll down until you see Write a Review, and tell us what you think. Ancient Words, Modern Message is produced by Studio D Podcast Production. And I'm your host, 
Roger Womble, reminding you that the Word of God is living and active. Until next time, showers of blessings on you and those you love.